Hi, thank you for joining me. My name is John Nevis, John 2028 Apologetics, Lion Lamb Podcast. And looks like we got another wild story that is invading the church. And I use church in air quotations. Um, if you follow me on YouTube, I just did a video, uh, Pastor Fired for Dressing in Drag. And it was a Christian reaction. A brother sent me the video and wanted me to react to it. And so I reacted to it. If you want to check it out, I'm sure you can probably guess to how I reacted to it. Um, so there's another story that just came out and it's similar in nature. Um, going to make it here on this podcast and uh, I'm already starting to get shadow banned on YouTube because of my, because uh, of our beliefs, I should say, because of the biblical belief, the biblical standard, and this is uh, going to be no different. So, a newly ordained pastor from Chicago is dressed up in drag in order to lead a church service with children. Aaron Muser, go to Google, DuckDuckGo, whatever you, whatever search engine you want, and type in Aaron Muser. That's M-U-S-S-E-R. Who is ordained this summer can be seen addressing children. From a pulpit in his church, dressed in a blonde wig, white dress, makeup, for spreading the word of the Lord to children. At his parish at St. Luke's Lutheran Church on Logan Square. The event took place last Sunday. So right around Christmas. And saw Muser read a religious book about joy to a group of children. And the picture I'm looking at shows a man and a blonde wig. Uh, he's got a choker around his neck, which is uh, generally symbolic for like a leash or a, a woman who likes to be submissive in um, fellatio. Um, there is a Christmas tree standing next to him. And sorry about that buzzer going off. It's my phone. And there's a a trumpet with a an alpha and an omega flag hanging beneath him, which is the name of Christ. It's one of his nicknames. Nicknames or titles, more you know, something like that. Um and there's a trumpet standing over it. So it's uh, hinting at the book of Revelation. The irony of that. Um, a Luther pastor in Chicago offered drag prayer. All right. So it's got this man sitting here in drag, dressed up. And then in the next picture, it shows him sitting in a chair in front of this church with a bunch of kids. Looks like they're wearing masks, of course. And he's he's sitting there and he's teaching them about the Lord, right? Um, this is what he wrote. This is what this is a couple of his uh, quotes. I have an awesome story to share with you today. Muser could be heard telling the story as he tossed his hair, so it's a wig. Either side reports the post millennial. I'm also a boy most of the time when I'm here, but today I'm a girl. He explained. Muster wrote in an announcement on Facebook the sixth Sunday 
of Advent is Rejoice Sunday. It's a chance for us to rehearse what a life of joy could look like. So this is what a life of joy would look like. So living in your sin, rebelling against God is what a life of joy will look like, right? Uh, you know, I mean, the scripture does say that to, to walk with the Lord is a narrow gate and everything else is a wide and open road. So, I mean, take that. And he goes on to say, it's a dress rehearsal. Preaching in drag is a theological reflection on joy. Joy overflows so abundantly. It can help. It can't help but make itself known. Weaving together the day's theme, queer theory, and lectionary text, we will dress rehearse for joy. Um, this is what happens when, um, number one, this is obviously blasphemy. Obviously, unless he repents, he's going to meet a horrible judgment day. Because uh, when Jesus literally says, if he calls the little ones a sin, it's better for you to tie a limestone to your neck and drop it, or a rock and drop it into the into a lake. And it's the same Greek verb about being tossed in the lake of fire. So this guy here, and let's go back into what he said here real quick. And let's really see. So here's what you got to do. Since we're, we're Christians and we proclaim the Lord and the scripture is getting hammered on harder and harder every day. We have to draw a line in the sand. You have to. This doesn't mean you find Muser's house and you surround it with pitchforks. This what you do is you you pray for him and you use the authority that scripture gave you to tell him or anyone else who agrees with this that they're wrong and that they're in sin and this is a um detestable to the Lord. Alright. So Preaching and drag is a theological reflection of joy. Boy, you know, you know what's funny is that Peter, so think about it like this, uh, a reflection of joy. Peter was, when he was put to death, when he was put to death, the, uh, the non-biblical sources tell us, so this is the people who put him to death, say that when he was put to death, that he, he cried and demanded to be put on a cross upside down. He was crucified like Christ. To be put upside down on a cross. That was his request. And it was given to him. Because he didn't feel worthy enough. To. Be on a cross the same way as, as our Lord did. So. The dress. That Peter wore. Of his blood. And. The dress of his. Raggedy clothes being torn and ripped and him being put naked on a cross. That's what he wore on a time towards the end of his death and then died that way. And then he obviously went to the to the arms of Christ. But this guy here, he thinks it's joy to put on a, a dress like a woman and like a, a big blonde wig. And it's just like, it's just annoying because even the writer goes, his hair, that's not his hair, it's a wig. I mean, are we so far from reality that now we're calling it his hair? Because you don't want to hurt, you don't want to hurt his feelings. 
You can't even you can't even call it a wig. All right. I mean, let's hold on. Queer. So Weaver together the day's theme, queer theory, and lectionary text will dress rehearse for joy. The only joy that we have. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you what scripture says. The only joy you have in life is knowing that when you die, if you are saved and born again and you have lived a repented life and you have accepted Christ as your Lord, God, and Savior, and you believe he is the I am or you won't die in your sins like John 8, 58 says, the only joy that you're, you're promised is an afterlife. Matter of fact, you're promised a worse life to be a Christian. If they've hated me, what makes them think they're not going to hate you, Christ said. And this person, this man, is so wrapped up in his sexual sin that his entire uh, day and night wakes up, goes to bed, and is intertwined scripture into his sexual sin or fantasy or whatever. And not that y'all needed the Bible verses quoted, but Deuteronomy 22.5, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. An abomination to the Lord your God. Think about that one. Now, all sins aren't the same. Now, all sins are the same that they are forgivable besides blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But all sins are forgivable. So the power of the blood of our Savior, all sins are, are in that nature. But not all sins are viewed or, or the same. God does call some sins an abomination. And this is one of them. So not that you needed to know that. Or for me to read it to you. But there it is. Deuteronomy 22.5. And if you want a um, New Testament verse, you can go to 1 Corinthians 6.9 when Paul is addressing his church of Corinth who was dealing with all type of sexual uh, temples that was around the church of Corinth. That's why he told women to keep their head covered when they were bald because there's a temple right up the road where women shave their head and he didn't want the association of the church of that of that sex temple that Venus worshiping temple associated with the new you know worshiping a, a risen carpenter church that just sprung up especially because it was a port where new people came in he didn't want that association so that's why he made such strict strict laws strict rules about dress and church um but first Corinthians 6 9 do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God question mark so it's a question. He's addressing the church. He's asking them, do you not know? Do not be deceived. So that means, of course, they're not. you're not going to. So it means that this people were probably struggling with these things. The sexual immoral. That Greek word is porneo. Porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from, by the way. Interesting, huh? Is a man who prostitutes his body to another's lust for hire. A male prostitute. A man who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse, a fornicator. Idolaters, adulterers, passive homosexual partners. That means, how can I put this? You're the receiver. 
practicing homosexuals. So it doesn't matter. That's what Paul was trying to make clear. It doesn't matter if you're the giver or the receiver. Just in case you were wondering. It is God's word and it's telling you. So if you don't like this language, then take it up with the Holy Spirit for telling Paul to write it. Thieves, the greedy, drunkards, the verbally abusive, and swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you, but here's the beauty. Here's the beauty, though. Listen to this. Listen to this. And this goes to that pastor, that fake pastor, that wolf in sheep's clothing. Some of you once lived this way, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The whole Trinity right there, by the way. So, think about that. Think about that. So, there is hope for this man who is causing little ones to sin and stumble. There is hope. But what a judgment, if not repentance. So, here's, here's the thing. Like, these people need mental, they, they, they need help. And this is what happens when you got a passive jellyfish, um, no spine church in America. Very few stand strong. Or very few are afraid to say the truth. But you got a, a very soft church. And they just give in. You know, being a Christian is more than knowing the lyrics to Hillsong. Or putting a Bible verse in your social media profile. There's more to being a Christian than that. Don't you know that? Don't you know it's about submitting? God describes his relationship with his people throughout the entirety of the Old and New Testament, Old and New, as like a marriage. It's like a marriage. You should read some of the language that's used in the Old Testament whenever he accuses Israel as being a uh, a cheating wife. But throughout the entirety of the Bible, that's what it's like. And God wants his bride to not be in cahoots with, I mean, look at it like this. So say your wife or your husband, say your wife or your husband is going on a business meeting. Would you want your wife or your husband to go on a business meeting and go out and drink and go out with a but with a group of guys or a group of girls. If if it's your husband, a group of guys. If it's a, your wife, a group of girls that are known to be loose and um easy to take home. Of course not. Well, that's the same thing. God doesn't want you around these type of people. He doesn't want you to. Be influenced by these type of people. But when you are around these people, you're supposed to give them the gospel. Doesn't mean you see them and you sprint off like they got like they got some virus. 
But when you see them, you give them the gospel and you live through Christ in front of them. That's what you do. And this guy needs that. This guy needs that. And don't think that he's the only one that's going to be held accountable. What about the parents? What about the parents? There's there's the picture I saw. When you Google it, look it up. There's a there's like seven, eight kids sitting in front of them. Staring at them. Sitting on the floor, like having a good time. That's the impression it gives. What about the parents? The parents are the ones that's ultimately, ultimately held accountable. As this pastor will be. But... To sum all this up, and this is why you use the bride analogy and all that, is that, that God is separating. He's cutting the fat off. If you can't see that today, then you're blind as a bat. There is a massive, massive separation of the world from the church now. You can clearly see it. He's cutting it off. Something's going on, man. Something's going on. I've never been that Christian that, you know, sees Jesus in my cornflakes and the world's going to end and all that other stuff. But there is just too much stuff going on now for you not to be like, what is going on? There's especially, you know, obviously with Israel becoming its own nation and all that. I did a series on that on my YouTube channel. Check it out if you'd like. But the world's getting more aggressive. The devil's getting more aggressive. I think he knows his time is up. Talks about like in the days of Noah, at the end of times, the days of Noah, this this sexual perversion is out of control. And the end game, the end game is pedophilia. That's the end game. That's the end game. It started off with gay marriage. Like, okay, listen, I'm when I was like eight, nine years old in the late 80s, early 90s around that time. I remember there was a big debate that was going on. Oh, what about gay marriage? And I remember people were like, uh, Oh, just let them let them live, and it won't bother nobody. And I remember Christians were a little bit more—not um, a little bit, a lot more boisterous back then. And they were, uh, "Hey, you know, we're not for this. We don't support this." But it's not that they gave in; they just got quiet. Especially in the South, Southern Baptists, they just got quiet and they just sat back. But their main argument—and I was a kid, and I didn't. And I and I wasn't for or against it, but I always thought, well, just let them have it. Maybe they'll leave us alone. That was my mindset. I was like eight, nine years old. Okay, but I remember the the big argument was, is that if you allow that, then how can you stop other lifestyles? And I remember people saying, like, what about a man with five women, or a woman with five men, or you know, a group of people, or a man with kids or a woman with kids. I remember thinking to myself, ah, I don't think it's going to get that far. I think you're just being over, a little over dramatic. Of course, I was a young kid. I didn't know no better. But that is what happens. Once you, once you give an inch, they become a ruler. Understand the pun? More than a ruler. Like a ruler, like 12 inches. When you give an inch, they become 12 inches or they become your ruler. Understand the pun? I know you do. Once you give an inch, they become a ruler. And that's what happens. Because God's the author and the authority of what a marriage is. 
And we jellyfish Christians gave into that and we allowed the government to take control of marriage and we allowed homosexuals and left-wing people who want to redefine marriage and take away the nuclear family, the husband and wife, to redefine marriage. So now you got men dressed up in drag queens, sitting in front of a church talking to kids, explaining the queer. It's not going to end there. It's not going to end, oh, hey, once you, t you think the message is once, they once you turn 18, you can marry another man. Or you can marry another woman once you turn 18. It's about sexual freedom. A teaching a, a theology that does not involve sin and repentance involves what you live how you want to live. And if a 10-year-old or 12-year-old feels a need because they're dumb and experiment with another male figure, then they're going to rejoice that. That's the end game. It's pedophilia. It's always been. Always has been. And yeah, I am that Christian that say they're coming for your kids because they are. Now I'm starting to go down a thousand rabbit holes. Do you think I sound like Chicken Little? Well, understand this. We literally have pastors now. I've given one pastor, I did a, a reaction video where he dressed up like a drag for a YouTube channel, or excuse me, for a Netflix series so he could, quote, support his pansexual daughter, which pansexual means they'll have sex with anyone, male or female, or male who thinks he's a female or female who thinks he's a male or her male. Okay, it's a long way to say bisexual, I think. But whatever. And now we got this pastor in Chicago dressed up like a bride with the Alpha and Omega symbol. You see how that kind of like numbs that symbol? Like how the rainbow's been numbed? Because the rainbow is really a Judeo-Christian symbol. And through time it's been numbed down to mean sexual liberation for homosexuals. That's our symbol. But now they've taken that away. You don't think they can take away the A and the O? Or at least those kids that are sitting in front of that um, pastor? They're no, they're no longer going to feel... Like when I see the, the Alpha and Omega, I think about Christ. Now they're going to look at that Alpha and Omega and they're going to think about a, Especially at seven, eight years old. That's implanted in their brain. Now they're going to think about a man dressed like as a woman. Tell them, teach them about being queer. So, and that's how it started. And they're going straight to the church. Straight to the church. I wish us Christians had enough guts and grit and bravery as the people who hate our Lord. I fail it sometimes too, y'all. I'm no better than you. I mean, we, it's time to get going, man. Thank you for listening.